Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, if you've been with Christ Fellowship for the last few months, we've been walking through 2 Corinthians. And as we were looking at the next couple of chapters on generosity and on giving, uh, we were super encouraged to think about the gospel and how Jesus, in his immense goodness and grace, in his generosity, he left the throne room of heaven to become poor, to humble himself so that we might know his grace, we might know the riches of Christ. And so that's what we're going to learn about today. And one thing that I learned as I studied this passage is that the gospel, the, the power of the gospel takes us down this path, that this path of going from a a place of loving our sin, loving the things of this world, clinging to the things of this world, and it opens us up. It frees us up by God's grace being poured into our hearts and the joy of Christ overwhelming us until we overflow in generosity. And so the same path that Paul knew in this passage, I, I pray the Lord would take us down that path towards generosity today. Here's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became, he became poor. So that by his poverty might become you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgments. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray, Lord. We ask that as we this morning behold the humility of Jesus, 
how Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, how he, the word says, became poor that we might become rich, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your grace, that you would fill our hearts with your joy so that it would loosen our hearts and hands to be generous just like Jesus. So, Lord, would you do this for our joy and your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we read the Gospels, there are some hard words from Jesus. Some hard words that are hard to hear, hard to listen to, hard words that are hard to believe, hard words that are actually hard to live out. I mean, think about what Jesus says. He says, if, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He, he says, you must die daily if you're going to follow me. He says, if anyone comes after me in another place and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Merry Christmas. I mean, hate your father, your mother, your daughter, your children. There are some very hard words to hear, hard words to believe. Yet some of the words of Jesus that might be the hardest to believe are, are words that Paul repeated in Acts 20 when he says this to the church at Ephesus. He says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That might be the hardest words of all. That it's better to give to people than to get from people. Those are hard words to believe. They're hard words for all of us, I know, this morning. I know it's hard for my kids because I feel like they always are adding to their Christmas list every day, you know, cutting out the Target magazines and the Amazon magazines. I know it's hard for the world around us because our world constantly is telling us things like obey your thirst, follow your heart, have it your way. It's about whatever you want. All of life is about whatever you want. But it's not just for hard for those people. It's, it's hard even for my self-centered self-absorbed, self-obsessed heart that I know oh so well. It's really hard for me that can't stop thinking or be consumed about the things that I want. Hard for me when I can't stop dreaming about what I would do if I just had a little more money. What would I buy? What do I really want? What trip would I want to go on? What, is, what do I really need or what do I want to ask for? No, for our joy this morning and for God's glory, we need to believe Jesus' words when he says, it is better to give than to receive. So let me just pause and ask you right now in your heart, would you say, I believe that with all my heart, that it is better to give than it is to receive.
You know, if we're not careful, we can approach this whole subject of giving kind of backwards. We can try to guilt people into wanting to give. Guilt people into giving more by saying, you know what? If you want God to love you, then you need to give more. If you want God to be happy with you, then you should give more to this cause or to that cause. We can try to bribe people to give more. You know, you really need to give if you want to be blessed. If you want to have a happy life, the way to do it is by giving more. We can try to pressure people. If you really love Jesus, why would you not give? to this or to that. But what we need is is less guilt-giving. If you really love Jesus, if you really cared for people, if you want to be blessed, if you want to go to heaven, if you want the church to grow, if you really realize there were three billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus, then you'd give more. Now, what we really need is not more guilt-giving. We need more grace-giving. Grace-giving, where we together look at the grace of Jesus and sing about the goodness of Jesus and rejoice in the generosity of Jesus and then just watch him make us generous by his grace. This is what the gospel does in our hearts. This is what the grace of Jesus, when it really captures our hearts, this is what it does with our hands. This passage will teach us this morning that in the gospel we receive an abundance of grace in Jesus, which stirs up an abundance of joy in Jesus, which overflows in an abundance of generosity an abundance of love to those around us. I mean, Paul got this. Paul knew this. See, Paul in in the letter of 2 Corinthians, he's been talking now for seven chapters about his relationship with the Corinthians and trying to mend that relationship again. And he's been talking about their sin that they need to do away with and how they need to be holy. But now here in chapter 8, he turns a corner And he turns a corner about and returns to an old subject about how they need to give an offering to the poor Jews, their poor brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Jerusalem. And Paul knows that what happened because of the gospel in Macedonia and what happened because the gospel took up roots in his own heart, it can happen here in Corinth. And that's what he wants to see happen. See, Paul knows That guilt does not make us cheerful givers. Grace makes us cheerful givers. Guilt will never make you a cheerful giver, but the grace of Jesus Christ will open up our hearts and open up our hands to others. So what do we need to learn this morning about grace giving? Well, the first thing is that grace giving begins with grace. Grace giving begins at grace. Look at verse 1. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God 
that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He doesn't begin this section trying to guilt the Corinthians into giving to the poor Christians who are in need in Jerusalem. He doesn't bring up other churches to shame them. He he doesn't talk about the churches of Macedonia like, man, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your brothers and sisters who are living up in Thessalonica and Philippi? No, he brings up these churches to put on beautiful display what the gospel is doing in Macedonia. He's wanting to testify to the grace of God, what the grace of God has been up to in Thessalonica and Philippi. And he's saying, Lord, I want to see you do it here. Lord, what you began in the hearts of the Corinthians, Lord, keep doing for their joy and for your glory. Listen, all of our Christian life is a response to grace. That'll that'll change the way you live when you grasp that, that all of the Christian life is a response to God's grace. It starts with God. Any of our giving that we ever do, any of our sharing, even any of our praying or our going or our, start, our, our serving, it all starts with his grace. It all begins with Jesus and what he has done for us. Again, guilt gifting, it says, listen, if you, if you give more, then God will love you. If you were to give more, then God will love you. He'll be happy with you. It's all about what you do first. But grace giving begins while you are still a sinner. Christ died for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ gave himself first. And because Christ gave himself first, we give in response to his amazing grace. Since giving begins with God's grace, really all fruit begins with that, this means that we as God's people have to return again and again, day after day, to the gospel. Again and again to the grace of Jesus. And that's what Paul does in verse 9. Look look how he roots our giving in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Think about this. Paul could have given us the most generic gospel about God's grace. I mean, Paul could just as easily have said, you know, you know the grace of God that you were a sinner and then Christ died for your sins. But he doesn't. Instead, he closed the glory of the gospel in terms of radical generosity. He he closed the, the glory and the majesty and the grace of Jesus in the terms of this radical generosity that as we hear about the grace and the goodness and the generosity of Jesus, our heart starts opening up. 
and we quit clinging to our stuff and we start opening up our hands to those around us. We love stories about radical generosity, don't we? If you're anything like me, I love like turning on the news or looking on YouTube or reading the newspaper and seeing some story of radical generosity around Christmas time. Like these stories typically blow my mind. You'll, you'll see stories about someone buying Christmas presents for this person or somebody checking out and buying everybody's stuff at a checkout at Target or paying for someone's college or buying their grocery bills or something like that. Like, like the other day, I saw a YouTube video that a man left 16, a $16,000 tip on a $40 bill at a restaurant. Like, who would not want to be that waiter, that waitress on that day? $16,000 tip, and the guy just spent $40. That's radical generosity. But listen, none of this compares to the greatest gift of Christmas. None of this compares to the generosity of Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, he knew the glories of heaven. He knew all the riches of heaven for all eternity. And yet the gospel says that he became flesh to dwell among us. Like that's a greater distance than a billionaire getting bankrupt is the glory of God being made flesh and dwelling among us. And God, Jesus Christ, was born as a baby. And he took on your poverty that through his death, you might know the riches of Christ. Not the riches of this world. Jesus is not a means to you get the riches of this world. No, you get the riches of Jesus. You get him. Brothers and sisters, in the gospel, we have received an embarrassing amount of riches in Jesus. Because the gospel is the truth that you were a beggar in your sin. Who were broke and had nothing to show God, to pay for your sins being forgiven, to do something to earn forgiveness. No, you were bankrupt before God. And yet through Jesus becoming poor, going to a cross in our place and rising again, we get to know the riches of Christ. I mean, think about this. Think about the riches of Jesus with me. If you're in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. If you're in Christ, you are completely covered in his righteousness before God. Death's been defeated. God's wrath has been satisfied for you. Hell is no longer a threat for you. Heaven is secure for you. There is no guilt hanging over you. There's no reason to feel shame anymore because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You are now called a son or a daughter. 
And you will get to continue to receive and rejoice in his joy, his love, his peace, his mercy, his hope forever. For all eternity, there is an endless supply of the riches of his grace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8 says this. It says that God has raised us, if you're in Christ. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is why he did this. Listen to this. He seated us in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That for all eternity, listen to what Paul says, it's going to take ages upon ages upon ages to try to get to the bottom of his immeasurable riches that we have in Christ. And we'll never get to the bottom of it. For all eternity, we'll never get to the end of his immeasurable riches of grace. It's like being given a gift card. And you run to the website because you don't know the balance. And you go to the website and check out and, and check the balance. And you put in the account number and it just comes up. There's, there's not one. It's unlimited. In Christ, we have unlimited grace and goodness for all eternity. The immeasurable riches of his grace. But what I want us to get, and what I, want, I know Paul wants our hearts to get, is that God's grace opens up our hearts and opens up our hands. Those who have been graced want to grace others. When we've received the riches of his grace, experience the generosity of Jesus, it makes us generous. It's what the gospel does. Grace giving begins with grace. The second thing we see, though, is grace giving is fueled with joy. Grace giving is fueled with joy. I hope my voice is going to make it through this sermon. We'll see. Look, look at what fueled the church. Again, verse 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Notice these churches weren't exactly in the easiest of circumstances to give. They were, Paul says they were facing an abundance of affliction. They, they, were, they didn't have an abundance of resources. I mean, if you're anything like me, when you see other people who give, sometimes my heart wants to say, you know, it's easy for them to give. Like, look at all that they have. It's easy to, they're not going through what I'm going through. It's easier for them to give. But notice Paul here is saying, brothers and sisters, none of our suffering, 
None of our lacking is any match for the grace of God. No, even in their suffering, even in their nothing, the abundance of God's grace stirs up an abundance of joy in Jesus. Did you see that? The abundance of God's grace stirs up in the midst of much affliction, in the midst of an abundance of poverty. They have an abundance of joy in Jesus. I mean, this is the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, hey, if you give, if you give, you should give more so you can get more. And the more you get, the more joy that you'll have. So give more. Give more to the church. Give more to others. The more you give, the more you'll get. And the more you get, the more joy you'll have. But the true gospel says, no, God has given you himself. And in him, there is fullness of joy. And out of that joy, you will want to give. It starts with all that we have been given in Jesus. I mean, just look at the way that God's grace completely fills all these churches with joy. Like, did you see here? Paul doesn't have to guilt the churches with a sad video about Jerusalem, with like sad movies and picture slideshow, with a sappy, sappy song played over the top of it. He doesn't beg them to be generous with statistics. He doesn't bribe them with false promises of prosperity. No, instead, the grace of God and the joy in Jesus, did you notice, has them begging to give. They're literally begging to give. Look at verse 4. Paul says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Did you see? They, they don't want to miss out on the joy of participating in this offering to their brothers and sisters in need. They were begging, begging Paul to experience the grace of giving that is so much better than receiving. I know for some people this morning, as we're preaching on giving, you're like, oh, here we go. The church preaching on giving again. Literally, I think this is like the third time since we've been a church in 15 years that we've preached on giving. That might sound crazy, but some of y'all are like the people that visit the churches only on the day they talk about giving. I'm sorry, I promise this is not happening, okay? You're probably sitting there thinking, oh, here it comes they're behind on the budget. This is the talk. This is the talk. No. By God's grace, we are ahead on budget. You might be thinking, I bet they're wanting to start a building project. It's getting pretty full in here. This is, they're going to beg us for pledges this morning. That's what those envelopes were for. Nope, that's not what, that's not what it was for. We want to create a culture that instead of building more for us, wants to give wants to send, wants to plant churches for the kingdom. Maybe you're thinking, maybe it's that missionary home they've been talking about. They need more money. 
We actually closed on the missionary home, praise God, yesterday. We were hoping to raise about $25,000 towards that. And by God's grace, we had raised about 112000 So praise God for what the gospel is doing in the hearts of our people. No, truly the main reason we're preaching on giving is because the next verse is about giving. Like we preach expository messages at Christ Fellowship, meaning God's word sets the agenda for God's people. We don't get up to talk about what we want to talk about. God, tell us what you want us to hear. And how it works is that 2 Corinthians 8 comes after 2 Corinthians 7. And so it's God's word that's inviting us to joyful generosity this morning. It's God's word that is inviting God's people to be filled with his grace, his joy, that it might open up our hearts and our hands. But in God's providence, what could be better to talk about at Christmas than giving? When all the world is trying to find joy in receiving, when literally all the world tries to find happiness in what they have, What if Christ Fellowship took Jesus at his word and we said, we truly believe that it is better to give than to receive? Like we believe with all of our hearts that there is more joy in self-giving and self-sacrifice like Jesus than there is in self-obsession like the world. Like we believe that with all our hearts. Grace giving is not a heavy-handed command trying to pry your hands off your money. Grace giving is about the grace of God stirring us up with the joy of Jesus so we don't cling to our stuff. We cling to Jesus. So we're not going to be able to hit on every verse in this passage this morning because my voice can't. No, it's fine. Um, But literally all the earnestness and willingness and eagerness, and readiness, and the begging that's in this passage, all is flowing from the abundance of joy that we have in Jesus. That's where it comes from, the abundance of joy that we have in Jesus. Like I heard about a church the other day that had this campaign going on that said, give your tithe for three months And if you're not satisfied, we'll give you your money back at the end. Give us your tithe three months. If you're not satisfied, then we'll give your money back at the end. Listen, if your hope for satisfaction is God giving you something that you're lacking, something you think you're waiting for so that you can finally be happy, you're going to be disappointed the rest of your life. Again, I'll say that again. If your hope of satisfaction is God giving you something that you think you're lacking, that you think will make you happy, whether that's money or a spouse or a job or a house or some stuff in this world, you're going to be disappointed the rest of your life. Because the gospel is that God has already given us the greatest gift of heaven in Jesus Christ. He's given us the fullness of joy in Jesus. 
So we don't have to wait to be satisfied. We are fully satisfied in him. Finally, grace-giving overflows with love. Paul says in verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In a wealth, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. You see what happens again in the heart? The abundance of grace stirs up an abundance of joy, which leads to an abundance of generosity. Now, does this mean you can't give money or you can't give a gift if you're not a Christian? Is that what that's saying? No, you can give money. There, there can be a monetary transaction of money from one hand to another or gift from one hand to another, but true Gospel generosity is giving from a heart. Giving from a heart that's filled with God's grace, filled with his joy. In fact, this overflowing nature of generosity makes you give above and beyond. Look at verse 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means... Of their own accord. Do you see that? Beholding the grace of Jesus makes us not say, How little do I have to give? But what all can I give? This generosity of Jesus makes us generous like Him, not stingy with all that God has given us. This generosity towards others, Paul says, This desire to help others, he actually says, is true love. He says that's what love is. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I want to show everyone that this grace-saturated, joy-filled generosity in them in the Macedonians, a.k.a. this love is in you too. He basically defined the first seven verses as love in verse 8. This is how we love others. John Piper says, Love is the overflow of joy in the grace of God that meets the needs of others. That means love is not the bachelor. Love is not the, some romantic feeling or some emotional response. No, true love moves you to meet the needs of others. It's God's grace, the joy in Jesus overflowing out of you. Paul's saying that that's what happened here, God's grace Joy in Jesus overflowed from the Macedonians, overflowed from the Corinthians that they wanted to give to those who were in need in Jerusalem. And this is what the gospel does in us. This is what happens in us. God's grace, true joy in Jesus overflows so that you want to share the gospel with your lost neighbor. 
It overflows so that you want to mentor kids at Parker Bennett. It overflows so that you want to foster and adopt because of your, the joy and the grace that you've received. You want to give to Lottie Moon. You want to show compassion to those who are hungry. You want to take meals to those in the church who are hurting. You want to spend time with Afghan refugees. You want to pack up and move to the nations. Do you notice I just described Christ Fellowship Church and what God's grace and what his joy is doing among us for his glory as we are generous with others. Isn't this exactly what John says in 1 John chapter 3? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does he really have God's love? If he says he loves God and he sings about God's grace, and he says he knows the joy of Jesus, yet he closes his heart to those in need. John says, how could he have God's love? He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let me close by asking you a couple questions this morning from our text. Is there part of your life that Jesus can't touch? Is there part of your heart where grace can't go? Because notice Paul says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That they gave themselves first to the Lord. I mean, I have to be honest with you that one of the last areas that I want grace to go is my money. Sometimes that's the last place that I want grace to go is to touch my money. But Paul says that that's a, a lordship issue, right? He says literally if either Jesus is Lord of all of it or he's Lord of none of it. Either Jesus has your heart or he doesn't. Either Lord, Jesus has your wallet or he doesn't. Has Jesus saved and is he sanctifying and is grace going to every spot of your life, affecting everything? Maybe another question is this. How is the gospel growing you in your generosity? How is the grace of God and the joy in Jesus stirring up within you some self-giving, self-sacrificial love just like Jesus? Look at verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Do you hear what Paul says? He says, in the same way that we want the gospel to change what we believe and how we talk and what we know 
and how we think and how we love, we should want the gospel to change how we give. We should want to excel in our generosity just as much as we want to excel in faith. Just as much as we want to excel in how we think. Just as much as we want to excel in humility and everything else in our lives. You know, there's that story in the Gospels of the rich young ruler. Maybe you know that story. Where the rich young ruler, he has so much, he has all the world, probably the richest man that came across Jesus. And he walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what can I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know what to do. You know the great commandments, the Ten Commandments. He lists them off. And he says, great, I've done all that since I was little. Great, I guess I'm going to heaven. But then Jesus says this, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. It's another hard saying of Jesus. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. As Jesus is trying to draw his picture, his eyes to the reality of the gospel. There, that there is more joy in me than in all your stuff put together. There's greater riches in me, immeasurable riches in me that is beyond compare in this world. That you'll never get to the end of for all of eternity. It's like he's saying to the rich young ruler, will you believe that it is way better to give than to receive because of all that you've received in me? And the gospel says that this is the only man that walks away from Jesus sad in all the gospels because this was a part of his life that Jesus just couldn't touch. This was a place that he did not want grace to go. What about you this morning? What about you? Has God's grace overflowed in your heart, stirred up joy in Jesus so that you want to be generous for your joy and for his glory? Because we must be a church that believes God's word when he says, when Jesus says, it is way better to give than it is to receive. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. Lord, there's so many of us that are clinging to something in this world, clinging to something that we think that will complete us outside of Jesus. Lord, instead of to Jesus Christ. But Lord, in your goodness and in your grace, you sent Jesus that he might become poor. That we might become rich. That he who knew no sin would become sin, that in him we might become his righteousness. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the immeasurable riches of God's grace. The immeasurable riches of your grace that we'll never get to the end of for all eternity. And that, Lord, as we behold the the grace and the goodness of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with joy. That we would be satisfied in you. Not satisfied in something we're waiting for. Not thinking there's something lacking, something that we're wanting that will complete us and make us happy. But, Lord, that we would be totally satisfied in Jesus. So that, Lord, as we know the abundance of your grace and abundance of joy in Jesus, that it would open up our hearts and hands, Lord, to give like you. Lord, for your glory, that we would give like Jesus. But, Lord, for our joy, that we would give like Jesus. Lord, would you do this for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.